Hello and welcome to Unchurchable, the podcast for free thinkers and curious minds both in church and outside of it. If you've been listening for a while now, you'd know my catch cry, that for some church is easy, for others it can be difficult, traumatic or even impossible, but that doesn't mean that spirituality and faith should be off limits to us. In acknowledging this, we can start rebuilding a free, healthy and hopefully non-codependent form of faith. For a lot of people who are finding their feet outside of church, the term deconstruction is used. It means we're applying critical thinking to areas like faith, doctrine, theology, and belief. For many of us, that means massive shifts, not only in our philosophy and mindset, but also in the social fabric of our lives. It's a big deal. It often starts off as a lonely journey as you contemplate shifting the very foundations upon which your life has been built. Every church is different, thus every journey is different. Several years into my own deconstruction, I'm acutely aware that there are a lot of things we take for granted. And again, everyone's experience has their own little kind of tangents and twists. But such things that we take for granted may include personal agency when it comes to decision making, personal contemplation and decision making on ethics rather than a descriptive version inherited from the pulpit. Independent choice of romantic partner might even be one. And as is the case in today's amazing story, feminism. I met Kate West on Twitter where she writes about Christian feminism and life after being a stay-home daughter. I want to remind you today as you listen that the things one person takes for granted might actually be something massive for somebody else, something almost entirely out of reach. Thus, I'm completely in awe of people who find the bravery to live their authentic life and own their incredible story. I hope you enjoy today's session, set against the dulcet tones of two preschoolers cooped up at home during stage four lockdown in this little apocalypse called COVID-19. These two truly put me through the paces when it comes to editing, but I think I've done an okay job. Either way, I found this session really interesting and informative, and I know you will too. Enjoy. Hello, Kate West. How are you today? Great. How are you doing? Good. Very excited to interview you. I uh, was reading through your Twitter feed and your website and my goodness, so much about your life rings a bell with me. <laughs> um, now, you, your story absolutely fascinates me because you come from being a stay-at-home daughter to actually mm-hmm. being sort of a Christian feminist who has got what many people would call a dream job. Um <laughs> And that in itself is like one thing, but when you've come from the stay home daughter kind of quiverful movement, that's a really, really big transition. So sure. why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself before we plunge into this interview? Okay. Um, well, thanks for having me on. Really excited. I've been looking forward to this all week. Yes. Um, so yes, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Um, I was homeschooled for most of my education Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, as the older I got, the more involved we got into patriarchy culture and um, the stay-at-home daughter movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can see a clear progression, you know, starting when I was a child, um, you know, more strict rules as I got older. Um, And so once I finished homeschooling at 18 I was expected to stay home and basically wait until you know a man arrived that I could get married to and start the rest of my life (laughs) Um, that didn't that didn't work out very good Um, 
I, <laughs> I laugh, but it's probably the least funny thing in the world, but, you know, sure. I eventually had a courtship um, that didn't go very well mm-hmm. and um, ended up kind of shifting how I viewed what my world was like and um, mm-hmm. started kind of that deconstruction. And it still took me a, a few years after that to really leave. So I didn't leave until I yeah. was 25. Yeah. Um, moved away, left all of it behind, uh, wow. decided to go to college and wow. got my first job. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was quite the change and, um, yeah. really scary, but it was really worth it. And now I'm, I'm writing, I'm working in publishing, which is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And, um, wow. yeah, it's crazy. Now you have dropped a few big buzzwords in there. Sure. (laughs) Now I've talked a little bit, I've kind of tiptoed around the issue of complementarianism Mm -hmm. in churches, but really patriarchy is what it is. It is this protection of male headship um, and subjugation of women in churches. And it can happen in kind of a very soft, subversive, like a very subtle way, or it can happen in a very overt way. Now Mm -hmm. on my end of the experience, it was kind of of a subtle thing but it sounds like on your end of the experience it was a lot more overt what was that like um yeah so complementarianism wasn't something I was familiar with um, Mm -hmm. until I really left and learned more about that but I agree it is it's very much a soft kind of form of patriarchy but for me um in the patriarchy movement things were a lot more clear-cut um yeah uh the gender roles were very distinct. Um, and for instance, women, um, don't work. Women don't go to college. Um, except, you know, maybe it's an online class. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but very much geared at kind of serving your future husband, whoever he may be, whenever he may ride in on his white horse. Um, my whole (laughs) education was, um, you know, I was taught that what I was learning, in homeschool was to help me be a better wife. So even if I was like learning math, it was mm-hmm. because, well, maybe my husband will need help with his taxes. And, oh my gosh, um, yes. <laughs> so that would be good for, for me to learn. Or if it's, you know, I enjoy music, maybe my husband will be into music. So it was never really about what I wanted to do. It was always about how can yeah. I prepare to be um, yeah. secondary to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Which now I, I was homeschooled too. Um, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know that the, actually the curriculum that we used was American um, and it was, uh, it had these cartoons on it, like these characters, um, Ace Burchison and Sandy Lovejoy and mm-hmm. Christy McMurcy <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was all this um Sorry, I think you can hear my kids shrieking. Uh, this is the beauty of recording podcasts during ISO. Um, my my wonderful baby daddy has just subbed out of a work meeting to look after them, and obviously they're a little bit quieter for me. Uh, but yes, we were. Um, we were yeah. So we we'd learn these kind of like. Obviously, there was the basics like reading, writing, and arithmetic, and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I I kind of you know 
fractions were great for baking. I hate baking. I just really hate it. But, you know, but, you know, book bookkeeping or all those different things are kind of like woven into, you know, diff- different people's experience of homeschooling, um, I guess. Yeah. Um, like I got like a sewing machine for my 16th birthday because, you know, that signified I'm becoming a woman. I should be able to sew my oh, own well. clothes and, <laughs> you know, oh, these kinds amazing. of symbols of, of growing up that way. So, I, and the other the other kind of big buzzword that you dropped was courtship. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who've never heard of it, how would you explain courtship? <laughs> um, when I feel uh, lighthearted about it, I say it's because, you know, purity culture didn't go far enough. Um, <laughs> when yes. I'm more serious, I, you know, it's a very rigid um, way to have a relationship and mm-hmm. I know lots of people do it different ways and they use that term differently um, so yeah. in my experience uh, it's it's patriarchal the father um, of the woman mm-hmm. um, kind of guides the whole relationship so in the courtship that I had um, I me and this person um, would meet with my father at least once a week and we yeah. had like a hundred questions that we had to go through together and they ranged from things like um what is your personal hygiene to oh really that's intrusive (laughs) yeah (laughs) or but all the way to like you know have you ever looked at porn or do you what do you think about birth control so like really um kind of a mix of questions yeah um but you were supposed to you know we had the purity rules of no Mm -hmm. touching or kissing Mm -hmm. or holding hands till you got married um, yeah, which is a and, lot. <laughs> yeah, and I think the the biggest thing for me was, and I know not every courtship had this rule, but in in my family, um, I wasn't allowed to get emotionally attached. So mm-hmm. you're expected to get to know this person and like think about marrying them, but you're also not supposed to let them have your heart or feel emotion towards them or love until you are betrothed. Because we didn't use the word engaged. Um, and and like that is so counterintuitive um and again like my courtship experience was a little different um but just as rigid um and it was really kind of the 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 buzz phrase that we kind of threw around was dating with marriage in mind but there was all these accountabilities and um even though i was in my mid 20s late 20s when we we were courting uh, there was you know we had Mm -hmm. to stay stay accountable and all this different stuff no touching no kissing Uh, although actually no that's a lie we we did um we were allowed to hold hands. Um, okay. So that, well, you know, lucky. Oh, you know, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like um, my dad actually set us up. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, yeah, like there's different different ways. Like I heard uh, there was one particular church I was aware of. One of their stages of courtship was that the girl would go to the guy's mother's house and learn how to cook his favorite meals and um, <laughs> which why don't we laugh about but oh my gosh yeah (laughs) you don't see any kind of return consideration Mm -hmm. like it's the woman coming into complete submission and um self-sacrificial kind of like you know away go her dreams of anything else other than you know being what he wants her to be and yeah it's a lot so and and you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to 
but was it that that courtship that didn't go well that caused you to kind of deconstruct these beliefs and how did that process sort of go for you moving away from that for sure I to me when I look back that was you know the big moment like I had had thoughts before then of you know this doesn't feel right I'll do things different when I get out of this house and Mm -hmm. but you know I have to get married first um yeah. So I think I saw this. Out first. Yeah, I think I saw this guy as like a way to escape from that. Um, yeah. And right. that wasn't fair to him. Mm. <laughs> um, and during the courtship, it lasted a long time because um, my my dad had certain rules that mm-hmm. you had to fulfill before you could get married, like mm-hmm. um, financial rules and things like that. And mm-hmm. we weren't at that point yet. Um, yeah. And so it kind of just devolved from there. But at the same time, I. I was getting more emotionally attached to him and I um, yeah. was also looking back, you know, a lot of that is emotional abuse saying, you know, you can't feel this way and you have to repent of your feelings. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was being traumatized also. So it was like a lot to, to go through. And then yeah. um, he, he moved away yeah. and we broke, my dad broke off the courtship mm-hmm. and you know, right after that, my dad told me I needed to repent of my emotion and we would get back on track, you know. Wow. And I was like this in my gut. I was like, that is not okay. Like, I can't be sorry for that. Um, yeah. No. And I just realized how miserable I was feeling. And, you know, I, um, you know, struggled with depression for a long time after that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it started my, it started me thinking about, um, if this was really healthy. Yeah. And that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Because when this is all you've known, when this is the family that you love, um, Mm -hmm. that has these rigid rules, um, or, or, you know, these unreasonable expectations, um, or these things that you're starting to kind of think about in your mind, the recognition that you thinking for yourself about this might cost you your relationship with them is really terrifying isn't it mm-hmm. and you never yeah. stop loving them and yet your relationship with them might have to change yeah and that's hard especially you know you're told I was told you're not an adult until you get married and mm-hmm. you can't think for yourself like it doesn't matter what you think you you can't act on those thoughts and so like I've been I was conditioned to not have agency so yeah the, the idea was very dangerous yeah to even think about yeah and again can relate (laughs) Um, you know i I, it was a really really scary thing for me to begin thinking for myself and um you know i suppose a, a thing that i kind of grew up with was this background idea that feminism was unbiblical um, mm-hmm. that it was against God and it was against, you know, God's order. Um, and, you know, that kind of, with that idea boiling away in the back of my head, but yet it, with this other idea that God loves me, so therefore why would he make me miserable? Right. This imbalance started to happen in my head, which led me towards kind of looking at the Bible in a more egalitarian way what how you you write about christian feminism and um and stuff like that so can can you tell me about what that thought process was like for you and what were some of the key discoveries that allowed you to flourish in your own kind of walk 
through life and with faith and all of that sort of stuff? <laughs> sure. Broad um, enough question for you to just <laughs> say whatever you want, I think, is the, the key thing here. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I was sheltered a lot of my life. So um, when I started to get to know people who had different backgrounds and women who had jobs or who had education, and it was, they weren't, you know, they weren't this um, idea that I had been told of, you know, mm-hmm. femi- feminazis burning their bras and, you know, <laughs> hating families. Um, they and weren't hating like men that at all. and wanting to kill right. all babies kind of thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were a lot happier. They were a lot more fulfilled than yeah. I had ever been. Um, yeah. And I, I started working for a community college, so I got to meet a lot of people and... I learned a lot from talking with people who had different beliefs and different backgrounds than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started doing a lot of reading and studying feminism and it wasn't what I had been told it was. Yeah. Um, And then I started looking at scripture in a different way. I'd always um, used, you know, I've been told to use the Bible as like this rule book. Yeah. Um, Black and white. There's no gray areas. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I, you know, reading it after leaving, it was like, this is, there's a lot of different books in the Bible and there's a lot of different um, purposes for each book and different authors. And I can still honor scripture as the word of God, but also realize that there's a lot of different contexts and cultures that, you know, fed into what the Bible says. Um, so yeah, exactly. I thinking differently. Yeah. And I think this is one of the complexities when people begin to think for themselves or read for themselves mm-hmm. seems to be a dangerous thing, but <laughs> especially women. <laughs> yes. Especially women. Um, is that there's this trope that's kind of been thrown around a little bit. Oh, I believe the Bible, but it's impossible to right. just believe the Bible because you're reading it through a lens, whether mm-hmm. it's the lens of the faith movement or, you know, the patriarchy or, you know, whether it's kind of Calvinism that you're reading mm-hmm. it through or this, you know, extreme grace movement. Like there's there's a million different ways to read the Bible. It's only when we start to scrutinize the lens through which we're viewing it that we can that things can kind of start to shift for us. So like that for me was a big moment. Um, but and I think finding empowerment on the other side of it is, is you know, not something that somebody can really uh, do alone in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I suppose what I'm getting at here is there's a lot of people who are in different places on their deconstruction journey. How would, like looking back, how would you have supported you? Mm-hmm. You know, if you were somebody else, like watching kind of a young Kate figuring her way out of this, what what are some ways that we can support people when they're going through this transition? Sure, that's a really good question. Um, I think what meant to me was when I was there was the people who were saying things like, are you okay? Or mm. is this what you want to do? I remember this woman on a plane, um, I didn't really want to talk to her, but she wanted to know about my life. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to be you know, a stay-at-home mom one day. And she's like, oh, but but don't you think you should have a backup plan? I was like, why? Why would I need a backup plan? But yeah. that always stuck with me. Like, why would she say that? Yeah. And where was she coming from? So, yeah. you know, when you see something that seems off, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to say, hey, are you, are you doing all right? Like, yeah. is this something that you agree with? And you know you have a choice about it. Yeah. Um, I was never given the choice. So the fact that people were wondering 
if I was choosing it was just crazy to me. Yeah. So um, this is an interesting thing. If I was choosing it, um, that is a loaded question because I think in my own experience of growing up um, in, in, a, in a church with a very strong direction, with a very strong culture, and mm-hmm. also what I perceive to be incredibly, uh, you know, high expectations um, and rigid rules when it came to relationships and, you know, we kind of had to, yeah, like it, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, but I, if you had have asked me, I was choosing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this underlying thing of, but I don't have an option to choose anything else. Right. Um, and confronting that was, you know, quite terrifying. And this this thing I had in the back of my head is if I if I ever really go up against the establishment on an issue, I'm going to find myself without um, family support and and without all of my friends. Now that actually mm-hmm. happened. A number yeah. of years after I got married, um, and you know, the that that argument eventually did happen, and it became an argument that couldn't be resolved, um, and so we ended up being kind of disfellowshipped. Um, wow. And I use that phrase to describe the process by which it is made impossible for us to stay. It's so hard the, to lose your community like that. It is, and I think a lot of people don't understand the grief that goes on when you lose community um and you know even though i do have some contact with some family members mm-hmm. that relationship's just never the same and right. there is this grief that goes through that but you know you never stop loving them but you have to choose your own mental emotional financial relationship safety Right. Over, over that now I, I'm sorry if, if I'm asking a question that you don't want to answer here and by all means we can skip it but <laughs> did you find that your community changed um like my sense of community yeah and, and your kind of significant relationships changed after you kind of exited yeah um so I I don't really have many ties left with mm-hmm. um people in the patriarchy movement yeah. Um, I do know a few. I do have a few friends um, that I talk to once in a while who are still, who are still kind of in it. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's changed a lot since we were younger. Oh, that's um, a mercy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I feel like the people I'm closer to now are people who accept me um, for who I am and mm-hmm. respect my opinions and beliefs and we can have open conversations i think what i missed before yeah. in the community was not being able to be um really honest or open about like yeah. what happened in your home or yeah what is it like to be married like those kinds of things <laughs> weren't communicated to us as young yes. women you know and now i have friends who i can talk to about um things like that without yeah. feeling like i'm going to be ashamed and that is a that again can relate um you know being used to kind of curating your answers when asked a question or curating your questions when you want an answer right i mean it's a hell of a double bind i mean if you really like it's a it's a hell of a bind to be in um Mm -hmm. so i suppose like there's there's some big transitions here that you've gone through but to the outside world 
that dissatisfaction wouldn't have been obvious at all um, and this kind of self-awareness would have been a growing thing um, how do you pre- and, and this is a question that I suppose I'm asking not necessarily um, for people who are leaving uh, you know a patriarchal quiverful or you know stay-at-home daughter movement or anything like that but just anyone who's like um, contemplating a big leap into the unknown how did mm-hmm. you prepare yourself for that kind of I'm going to mm-hmm. get a job I'm going to study in a college that like you know that isn't just that's about my interests and it's not about you know supporting my husband how did you do you prepare yourself for that leap of faith uh, that's, a, that's a hard question to answer because I don't know if I ever thought through those things before I did mm. them um, when I left my family, the goal was go someplace safe yep. and get into a safe place. And mm-hmm. I moved to a different state. And yep. a few months later, I got married to my best friend. And so oh, wonderful. Um, there was a few months where I had no job and I was staying home you know, yeah. the, the thing I never wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. But it gave me a few months rest and to think and to recover and to yeah. rest. And I know that not everybody gets to do that. So mm-hmm. everyone's journey is going to be different. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I had access to a computer at the library and I would go and research, like, how do you go to college? And yeah, um, just educating myself about yeah. what's possible. Yep. And being open to you know whatever came my way yeah now um researching how do you go to college Um, (laughs) we might laugh now but a lot of people who've left kind of toxic groups or toxic situations face this with simple things like how do I open a bank account Um, right you know how do I register for government benefits or um any of these things and they're actually big moments so I I guess I want to just kind of sit in this for a minute Mm -hmm. and um and acknowledge that things like if somebody's sitting in this situation of having to change their life in a big way like this it's okay to not know things yeah and it's okay to I think feel depression um and you mentioned depression earlier I know I certainly felt you know very blue while going through Um, kind of the grief of a lot of things and you second guess yourself a lot I think this is probably a normal part of deconstruction what would you say to people who are experiencing these sorts of you know fears or emotions yeah I think it's okay to feel those feelings and to to grieve what you've lost like Mm -hmm. when you're leaving something like that you are leaving family often and often you're leaving your community and friends and you're not going to be back to where it was and I mean I had I had been so used to monitoring my feelings you know Mm -hmm. um, that it took a while to like sort through them I remember the first few months leaving I was like I feel all these different things and I don't really know what they're what the names are for all these feelings yeah and it takes time to like get space from the toxic environment and to yeah you know own those emotions absolutely I think owning those emotions has been a big uh, key for me and I think for a lot of people um, and recognizing that emotions aren't bad 
Right. <laughs> There's no such thing as a bad emotion. They are what they are. They're created by your limbic system. I mean, just let them be. Like what you do with them is important. Right. But emotions are emotions. Um, so anger for me was mm-hmm. a kind of a contraband emotion uh, because it wasn't feminine. Um, right. You know, you have to be joyful was, at all times. Yeah, be joyful. Um, you know, like I'd, I'd experience frustration over things, and um, but I wasn't allowed to be angry really. Um, and I'm, I'm always careful in the way that I word it because obviously, you know, my perception of my situation, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, yeah, but being able to actually sit in that and go, you know, it's okay to be angry, and I think mm-hmm. another big challenge is being able to look at people you love and actually name their behavior as not okay and name their behavior as even abusive in some situations is again i'll use the word terrifying because it does it feels so wrong Mm -hmm. um and yet being able to name that behavior as abusive or as neglectful or as not okay is a big thing how did you kind of tiptoe up to that line um of of calling other people's behavior what it is yeah yeah when you were you'd been taught to be so submissive and kind of let men do what they were going to do right um this actually started before i left home i Mm -hmm. had my own laptop for the last few years i was there and i remember feeling like this is things that are happening in my home like i don't they just don't feel right anymore and i was like researching and um, we came, you know, we were involved with Vision Forum. So I was reading about people who had left Vision Forum and the mm-hmm. Quiverful movement. And um, yeah. they used words like abuse. And I was like, I don't even know what that word means. Yeah. Like, I had always thought of it as, um, you know, like domestic, in a, like a domestic violence kind of way, like very physical, yeah. which yeah, it is. No bruises, but there's, you know, right. Well, but, but there's so many different layers to abuse. Um, and yeah. you know there's spiritual abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse and it can yeah. look different in different homes and mm-hmm. i was noticing that in my home and i didn't know um where to go with that information yeah but at least i had a word for it finally um yeah so that was something i held on to for a while and i didn't talk about it with anybody for a long time until i could really process that yeah um, but yeah so that's a big change A big change. There's a lot of internal processing that goes on before you can kind of set foot into the big bad world and then you're met with that discovery that it's not as bad as what you thought it was, Um, Mm -hmm. that there's happy, fulfilled people, there's women doing jobs outside the home that they love and and you're met with this kind of big world that is actually a little bit kinder than what you thought it was going to be. Um, So... Just before we kind of press on in this, you've mentioned again the Quiverful movement. This isn't something that's really common in Australia. So for the Australian people, why don't you just quickly run me through what Quiverful movement is? Um, Quiverful movement is, it's like the, um, I think it's 19 Kids and Counting. (laughs) The Duggars. Yes, the Duggars. That's kind of a good um, go-to example of what Quiverful looks like. It's the idea that, um, I think there's a, you know, a verse, I think it's, psalms or proverbs i mm-hmm. forgive me if i'm wrong but about you know children are like arrows um yeah. and the more you have it's like this idea that the more you have 
you know, the more you're glorifying God. And so Quiverful is very much like women. Their purpose is to raise children and as many children as possible. So my family wasn't actually in the Quiverful movement specifically, but it was very adjacent. Like I knew people who were um, into those ideas and we were more involved with like the vision forum types of um, beliefs. Okay. Now I've never heard of the vision forum. Okay. So vision forum, um, it's very, it was, it kind of started out like this homeschooling resource nonprofit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, um, they taught a lot of things about gender distinctions. You know, women are supposed to do this, men are supposed to do that. Yeah. And it was all about training your kids in this way so that, mm-hmm. you know, they would grow up to be biblical women and biblical men. Mm-hmm. And I remember we would get the catalogs because they would sell lots of books and, yeah. and you know, stuff for homeschoolers. Um, and th- it was looking back now, I remember very specifically the girls section it had all these pictures of tea parties and oh, flowers God. and girls in little dresses that, you know, looked like they're from a hundred years ago. <laughs> and then the boys' pages were, you know, zip, you can buy a zip line, you can go hunting, you can um, be a Boy Scout, like all these oh. adventure types of things. And I was very dissatisfied with that. I never really wanted anything out of the catalog. Um, and it's, it's, I don't believe Vision Forum is around anymore. Um, Doug Phillips was the leader of that, and he there was a whole um, scandal around him with sexual abuse. Oh, so um, hopefully they're not around anymore. Yeah, hopefully not. This is uh, this is funny, but really, really not funny. Um, we growing up, um, you know, my parents did their best to raise good Christian kids, and um, part of this was obviously monitoring what we watched on TV and. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, kitty vitties with this like Christian kind of song, like music video, you know, VHS videos that, that we used to watch. And they used to like sing these songs about submission and obedience. And the, the girls were always dressed very conservatively and the boys were always, you know, dressed in kind of like more active kind of like kind of Tom Sawyer looking clothes. But one yeah. of the song was songs was do cause daddy says so like oh dear he's best to do cause daddy said so anyway oh gosh Patrick um Patrick and I uh were watching a documentary on the children of god cult oh no <laughs> turns out they did they they ran the kitty video organization oh no that was, yeah I was like oh my gosh oh, there <laughs> goes your childhood on, oh gosh I was raised on cult propaganda <laughs> it was a complete accident and my parents thought that, that it was just, you know, good, good Christian kind of message. But anyway, you do what you can. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, it's a deeply ingrained, um, deeply ingrained thing. And like, it's when you mentioned that scripture about the quiver, like the arrows in the quiver, that scripture came up a lot in the movement that I was from. Mm-hmm. Um, but the message that kind of accompanied that was um, that, you know, <sighs> Kind of, it was the the parent or the father's job to shape the character of the children, point them in the direction that they ought right. to go, and then when they went out into the world to accomplish that, which you know God and the father, being two separate ent- entities, mm-hmm. <laughs> wanted them to do. It was like an arrow from you know, like his kind of bow. Like we were supposed to accomplish the father's work, um, and it's an ambiguous term because sometimes I think that means 
the human father and and god's really got mm. nothing to do with it um so the illusion like i guess it was a difficult thing for for me to go do i have a right to make my own choices when it comes to what I do with my career or what I do with my life mm-hmm. or do I have to choose what my dad would want me to do um, and then when you find yourself disfellowshipped um, and kind of wading through this kind of mud of you know grief and loss not just in terms of your relationships but in terms of your old faith and recreating a new one and finding a new way of being um, and a new way of living and doing christianity if you choose to continue on in that it's it's a lot to process um Mm -hmm. and i've used the word terrifying a few times because it can be really really fearful a few years down that like you you've you've been walking this journey for a while um what is your life like now how are you now wow um (laughs) i feel very different um i used to feel so trapped and kind of pointless Mm-hmm. And now I feel like there's a lot of possibility out there. You know, I could, you know, try to get my dream job and um, yeah. pursue things that I feel called to do. And I can follow my intuition in that way instead yeah. of following someone else's kind of guidelines for my life, which was very, was very much trapped. Um, and I think for a while after I left, I kind of wanted to play along with you know everybody and just kind of pretend like nothing happened and yeah (laughs) and I you know I think I I needed time to recover and now I um I feel more encouraged to speak up about it and to write about it and I feel more clear-headed about what happened um Mm. and I think it's really important not to forget and not to pretend like it doesn't matter yeah Um, so I feel really called to continue talking up about um abuse specifically and also you know how patriarchy ties into abuse and yeah um because it it hurts a lot of people yeah it so does and it it weaves its way in in a lot of very subtle ways and in a lot of ways i think the church is often kind of the last bastion of of patriarchy Mm -hmm. um in in the western world certainly um and but the work of deconstructing that is difficult work for courageous people um and i love seeing someone really making a mark on it and and thriving because i know um comparatively how much courage it takes to put yourself out there and how much um you never forget where you come from and you Mm -hmm. never stop loving your people um but you know choosing to to kind of stand up and speak out despite all um is is an act of courage every day now you've found writing as as an art form and i love that you're doing creative nonfiction. um creative nonfiction really kind of bridges the um bridges the worlds of fiction and nonfiction in a way doesn't mm-hmm. it yeah <laughs> so it's it? very freeing <laughs> yeah so um as an as an expressive art form it's probably helped you process a lot of of what you've gone through and a lot of where you're going hasn't it for sure and i like to do research when i'm writing so sometimes i'll write um kind of like braided essays where i'll present research on like this is what you know like vision forum does or like a similar mm-hmm. kind of occult type of thing yeah and then compared to what i grew up with and like weaving that together it's, it's very validating 
to be like, I'm not crazy. Like this did happen. Yeah. These things that the pastor said are terrible. Yes. Um, when I was a child and, um, you know, it's just, it's very freeing to be able to name that and to weave it into my emotional state or um, what, how that impacted my life. I think you've named something really important just there in not only finding a creative outlet and research, um, but in in being able to kind of connect the dots a little bit. One big thing for for me and for and for Patrick when we left um, the church and the network that we were part of was actually finding other people who had been through similar experiences. Right. Because sometimes you sit there and, and go, either you downplay it, was it really that bad? Or you go, that was so freaking weird. I have to have made that up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes I'll tell people some, something that happened and they're like, that didn't really happen, did it? And I'm like, yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of when you've experienced, um, and the word for it is gaslighting. Right. Um, you know, or crazy making. It's making somebody think they're crazy um, for or questioning events or different stuff like that, which in, in particularly in one particular part of my life, I did experience that. Um, it's, it's sometimes you can almost gaslight yourself. You can almost go, did that really happen? Did I imagine that? Did I, you know, did I make that up? And it was in kind of sitting with other people who had, who had left and gone, oh, that happened to you too. Oh, yep, that that is, you know, <laughs> that's a big thing. But also naming things and actually being able to call it out. Like I remember because um, we left, after we left my dad's church, we started to go to another church in town, which was a big act of courage for us sure. because um, walking into another church, we knew we'd be traumatized by, by things. We knew that things would kind of trigger us. And that became a, dis- a discovery that, you know, became kind of more and more real in those first few months. But um, the pastor preached on, um, I never know how to pronounce it, Mephibosheth, the youngest son of Jonathan <laughs> yep. in in the Bible. Um, and he, he was the son with the clubbed feet. And we both kind of stiffened up at the, at the mention. Mm. And yet the message was so kind. It was about seeking people out to bless them. And we were like, oh, this is nice. Like... <laughs> Anyway, so the pastor, he, he used to do this thing where he'd, um, he'd like end the sermon and he'd do the prayer line and then he'd walk out the doors of the sanctuary so that if people had any questions or anything on the way past, he'd be able to kind of greet them and take a moment. And we said to him, the only way we've heard that, that message preached is because Jonathan didn't give his shoes to David, his son was born with clubbed feet Mm. thus everything that you hold back in covenant will become a curse on the next generation and that was a really fear-based kind of um, verse for us because we'd gone through recurrent miscarriages and we're like what what is this sin what is this thing that I've done to deserve such awful like you know results in in my life Mm -hmm. and then we started to realize God as being kind and good and that was a real pivot for us was actually being able to call out doctrine and question it um and and realize that some of the things that we'd been taught may have been wrong um so that research thing that you mentioned and also kind of you know finding an outlet and i can't stress enough therapy is a good thing too (laughs) yes yes for sure no that has helped me a lot as well (laughs) yes (laughs) 
<laughs> and I don't think Christians should be ashamed at all of no. um, of seeking out the help of a qualified professional when it comes to getting your mental health back on track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I think the creative outlet's probably been a really good thing for, for you. And mm-hmm. are there any other keys that you've found to kind of helping yourself through this deconstruction and this transition? Um, I think, you know, giving myself uh, space to take care of myself. I think um, I I kind of learned, you know, not to prioritize my own health or my own needs. Yeah. And so it's Uh been a challenge to learn like, oh, I need, I do need a therapist or I do need to go to the doctor. Like, um, that was something I had to kind of learn over. Um, Mm -hmm. So learning how to recognize my own needs. um, Yeah and take care of myself it's been you know it sounds kind of it probably sounds crazy to some people but um yeah that's been kind of something that I needed to face Mm. um and give myself space I think I get wrapped up in you know dialogue online or things like that and I have to remember you know I don't have to please everybody like I grew up trying to please everyone it's not going to happen Oh, that reflex is a strong one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to disagree and it's okay to have a respectful dialogue and then just step away and go take a walk. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is a, there's, again, there's a few things that you've mentioned there. <laughs> um, reclaiming the right to, and I guess I'm saying this for the people who are listening who are deconstructing or who are about to start deconstructing or have started to think about faith and wondering whether it's for them. There are a lot of different ways to do this, mm-hmm. but it's not an easy process and you must look after yourself. Um, and for some people, they've gotten used to this kind of self-deprecation, this kind of subjugation, where even recognizing that they're worthy of self-care right. um, is an impossible thing. So what would you say to people like that who are kind of just starting out and are struggling with all of the emotions and all of the cognitive overload that comes with realizing that your whole worldview might be about to change? Yeah, um, take lots of breaks. <laughs> take, lots, <laughs> take lots of breaks. Um, it's very intense to have to deconstruct what you've been told your whole life and to rethink and yeah. um don't take it all out on other people or like your friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get really intense about how I feel about something and then I realize, <laughs> oh, I'm this other person is I'm making them feel really bad. So like I'm not letting them talk at all. <laughs> so <laughs> you know Oh, I've done this. <laughs> I think that's what therapy is good for. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh kind of lost my track of where I was going with that <laughs> yeah you're talking you know you've, you've you've monopolized the conversation you've gone down the rabbit hole and you know getting intense about your deconstruction how do you you know how do you trigger yourself to actually just take a breath take a yeah. break and, and yeah self-care mm. right yeah it's you know it's not the end of the world I guess yeah yeah um yeah, I, I remember the first couple of years of us deconstructing. Um, there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of therapy. Um, we also had a safe group of friends, um, mm-hmm. a very tight group of friends that we were open with. Um, but I was aware of the fact that after a while, people must see us coming and go, oh, gosh, here they come, gird your loins, like, oh, you know. <laughs> become the emotional vampires with their their stories of kind of trauma and stuff and uh, and it wasn't gossip I refused to Mm -hmm. gossip it was about um you know actually 
processing what had happened and you know how to be in this new reality so Mm -hmm. kindness to self is huge so a you deserve that b you deserve a good therapist (laughs) and i think you have a good point about finding good friends you know like you don't have to spend a lot of time with people who are going to be um you know have a toxic relationship with you it's okay to you know step away from that and spend Mm -hmm. your time with people um who support you and who are you know maybe they'll challenge you but maybe um they'll agree with you but yeah you can have a respectful conversation and feel supported instead of um attacked yes and i think it's also an element of that is realizing the difference between somebody wanting to support you and somebody wanting to hear your story because they're not always the same. I found that um, there was a lot of curiosity about my story um, and so I really stopped sharing it with a lot of people because it stopped being a how can I support you thing and it started being this kind of voyeuristic curiosity of Mm. and then what happened Um, (laughs) in which I felt exposed. So you kind of learn to tune into your intuition um and i think a woman's intuition is one of her best assets Mm -hmm. forget about her hair being her glory it's her intuition that is her glory (laughs) and i know you have short hair now that's um you're allowed to do that (laughs) (laughs) short hair is a (laughs) no-no and yet it's so fabulous Mm -hmm. i mean So what do you think, I guess in closing, what do you think are some areas that you'd like to see more work on Christian feminism um, going forward? And I guess what's next for Kate West? Um, I think in, you know, in theoretical terms of Christian feminism, it's kind of a tricky term to use, mm-hmm. first of all, because um, a lot of Christians don't like feminists and a lot of feminists mm-hmm. um, might not like Christians. And so mm-hmm. putting those terms together can be kind of hard for people to digest um so i think i i would think going forward um for me the label christian feminist is a really empowering word because feminism to me feeds out of my faith mm. um, the respect for human life and for equality comes from what i believe humans are here for yeah. um, created in the image of god so Feminism comes out of that um, belief that I have. And I think moving forward, um, I hope that we can grow more compassionate and more um, caring for people we don't always agree with. And Mm -hmm. not so, um, you know, two sides against each other, but work together. Um, I think there's a lot of things that Christians and feminists can agree on. Um, Yeah find that common ground so um for me moving forward i think you know i i'm of course going to continue writing and looking for ways to have conversations about this um because i think a lot of people are interested in you know faith and feminism at the same time i think it you know compared to when i was younger that was something that nobody talked about um at least in my (laughs) circle so (laughs) i'm excited that more women are speaking up and speaking out yeah. and I think more men are as well yeah um so I hope to be part of that you know that yeah. culture moving forward 
That's that's beautiful, and I'm I'm going to swear here in this next story, people. So be prepared for that. But like, <laughs> um, I, you know, growing up, uh, there was kind of a language around empowerment for women, but it was always to a point, and I was always kind of very cognizant of that point at which we were empowered to like you know you can you you know be an empowered woman but as long as it doesn't cross this line kind of mm. thing um and so you know churches can sound like they're empowering women and yet not fully be um and you know making that transition is a big thing but i remember after leaving um after yeah after leaving church my my husband um he's very egalitarian mm-hmm. um and he'd say to me <laughs> he'd say fuck the patriarchy and i'd be like <laughs> yes yes of course yes absolutely absolutely and he's like you can't do it because i said so that's counterintuitive <laughs> um, so like you can actually we have to give ourselves time to unlearn yeah. these deeply ingrained things um and sometimes it is you know we've been told not to experience the world that it's evil that it's going to destroy us and yet we can find kindness in the world and we can kind find kindness in people who don't share our worldview mm-hmm. um and you know feminism was supposed to be so awful but um i haven't found it to be awful at all i found it to be this kind of lovely thing and yes there are some brow burners out there but you know uh, for the <laughs> most part <laughs> now and i have to along that lines um you've you kind of identified you've identified as a christian feminist for a while how many bras have you burnt not any yet not but any yet. Not and any yet. Do you have a party though? Men? Do you ha- do you hate all men and all babies? Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, you know, I want to clarify one thing: is that um, a lot of times when I tell my story, people re- will react with, "Well, you lived in a really extreme environment, and like that's extreme patriarchy." And um, when I moved here to Michigan. I went to a church I think would identify as complementarian mm-hmm. for the most part. And I, you know, at first it seemed a lot better than yeah. what I had grown up with. But then I could see the patriarchy there. It's just more hidden, it's a little sneakier. Yeah. And um, it still keeps women from fulfilling their potential and yep. following their callings. So I just mm-hmm. want to clarify, like, um, this is important because a lot of people are in churches like that and you know, it's that patriarchal at the really, base. That is a really important point because sometimes the extreme stories should help us to point out the subtle ways in which we are not the complete opposite. You know, mm-hmm. they, they sh- we should be able to use more extreme stories to kind of actually discern our own situation. And, and there's one comment that somebody made to me in a in an interview that has really struck with me struck with me gosh stuck with me um (laughs) and he said that it isn't the churches that are aggressively oh hang on he said the churches that are the most harmful towards lgbt or questioning young people Mm -hmm. aren't actually the churches that are aggressively homophobic or transphobic they're the churches that are subtly so um, mm-hmm. that will love and empower to a point but as soon as like a person wants to have a relationship or, or wants to you know look a little bit different or what whatnot right 
that that's when they'll clamp down on them and say no you you're it's it's a sin and it's an abomination um it's that kind of they've been lured into a place of love and acceptance and they they try to flourish and then can't that that subtle right. area is actually the one in which there's a lot of harm so um obviously yeah. in different stories like when there's you know physical abuse or when there's kind of abuse of children or when there's like um kind of extreme patriarchy not that i'm putting those on the same level i'm just saying that sometimes they coexist mm-hmm. um those those extreme situations obviously are just awful but um sometimes sometimes the awful stuff happens in the subtle space as well it's in the unspoken norms that surround a, a person or a group or a, a gender or a minority group right um, and that's why we've got to do the hard work scrutinizing and really i think the hard work in protecting our hearts against it <sighs> yeah 100 percent agree <laughs> and down off my soapbox <laughs> 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 All right. Well, um, where can people find your stuff? Sure. Um, so my website is katewest.com. That's C-A-I-T-W-E-S-T. Um, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at katewestwrites. And I have to say, your tweets are just so fantastic. I love them. And that's actually <laughs> how I found you. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, um, I, I like following you on Twitter too. <laughs> I don't tweet nearly enough, but you can probably, in the background of this recording, you've probably heard a lot of children screaming downstairs. And it's because <laughs> I can also hear a lot of jumping downstairs. Those little angels are also the reason I don't tweet as much as I should. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being on the podcast, Kate. I just cannot wait to see what emerges from your writing and your work over the, the coming years. So everybody get along and follow her She and read, read the website stuff too, because there's some really great writing there. I've really enjoyed it. Um, today's session, I think, is, you know, sure, it's a story, but I hope it gives us all a little time to uh, reflect. And especially if, you're, if, if this ISO period, um, this COVID-19 period has made you start questioning your faith, I hope Kate's story makes you realize that you do actually have time to research and to think and to prepare before you take a big leap into the unknown. And there are plenty of people of peace out there who'll be able to stand with you as you make this transition. Kate West, thank you for being on on Unchurchable today. I'm Kate Kennedy. Thank you, Kate.